Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, round the corner technology. And today I'm talking to um, several of the people that work for Abra, a digital currency company. Um, if you guys wouldn't mind, gals, uh, please introduce yourself and um, if you can give a brief description of what Abra is about and what it does. Uh, I'm Daryl Perrier. I'm the CTO here at Abra. Um, my background's in various tech startups uh, with a common theme of taking complicated technology and using it to provide a simple experience for the end user. So, hi, my name is Ishmael. Uh, I'm one of the local developers here, and um, I have uh, been doing all sorts of developments for the last two decades, but I uh, got really, really interested in Bitcoin and uh, was looking for a good Bitcoin startup to work with. Found Phil, and this by far had the best, most reasonable plan for implementing something. Uh, and unlike most of the people I talked to, had uh, you know all the skills necessary to make that happen. Okay. Thanks. Oh. Uh, so this is Bill Barheit. I'm the CEO at uh, at Abra, and mm-hmm. uh, started the company around two years ago. So I'd be happy to give you some background on the basics. Yeah. What led to the idea for Abra, and you know, what is Abra today? What do you guys uh, do in the digital currency realm? Yeah. So the idea behind Abra was to have a single mobile app that could run on any smartphone. That would allow you to be able to, that would allow you to send money person to person between any two consumers anywhere in the world. Uh, the idea is that you can be holding dollars on a phone in New York City, sending money to a consumer in Italy who expects to see euros. They magically receive euros on their phone, and then we give the consumer in the U.S. and in this case in Italy ways to get the money on and off. Uh, for the cash consumer, uh, we're deploying a, a network of what we call Abra tellers, which are effectively human ATM machines. They're people who use the Abra app to process deposits and withdrawals for everyone else. And then in certain markets, uh, where, for example, like in the U.S., where consumers also have a lot of bank accounts, you'll be able to use your bank accounts to buy and sell uh, digital currency inside the apps directly to and from your bank account. We're currently live in the U.S. and the Philippines. Uh, okay. We're gearing to go live globally uh, over the next several weeks. Can't say too much about that yet, except to say it's going to happen. Uh, That's but great. We'll be announcing the details on how that global launch will happen fairly soon. Uh, right. And you've got a big chunk of the team involved in that global launch here in this room. So, so. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, don't worry, right. we're I mean, over it sounds like a great idea. It sounds obvious. It sounds simple, but I would guess um, there's a reason why there's a lot of middlemen involved in money transfer and currency exchange and all that. I would bet there's many issues that uh, you guys have to overcome. So can we delve into those? You know, what are the the biggest stumbling blocks or showstoppers to this? Sure. I, I'm going to give you a business perspective on that, and I'll let Daryl and Ishmael comment on, on the technology challenges. 
you know, the, the, the key business challenge here with Abra was how can you have a single solution that works effectively in 200 countries that completely eliminates the middleman in the financial transaction, which is the core business requirement, because it's impossible for Abra to be a bank or an e-money license holder in, in 200 countries. The concept just doesn't exist. It's untenable. So we had to architect a solution that had no financial inter intermediary. In banking terms, you would say no custodian, of, no third-party custodian of funds in the right. system. And, and so that was a, a key tenet of the business requirement for what we were building, which if you understand anything about banking or digital currency is actually counterintuitive. Um, everybody else is... Uh, that's, that's doing this is either acting as a, a hosted wallet or a financial intermediary like a remitter, uh, you know, but they're in the middle in some way. And so the trick with Avro was to technically not be in the middle. So I don't know if you guys What's, uh, why is there um, an intermediary needed? Is it, you know, and we're going real basic here, but is it because in order to make sure that money doesn't get lost or it's retrievable well, it's if it's sent to the wrong person or? In traditional banking, you're settling paper, right? So, so mm -hmm. somebody has to be hold. If you're moving the paper from A to B, somebody has to be logically holding that paper at all times. And, and right. that's the way bank transfer works. That's the way Western Union works. It's the way a visa payment works, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, when I say it's counterintuitive, it's counterintuitive because Abra is still allowing the consumer to logically hold a dollar or a euro or peso or yen, whatever, but they're doing it on a smartphone without the paper, which makes this counterintuitive, which is why there's no intermediary right. transaction. So essentially, Avra is more like cash than a traditional smartphone wallet. Like the user is actually holding the value on their phone. Exactly. And allows them to transfer mm. to another user directly. So it's just like a cash transfer, which is much simpler from a real estate point of view. Exactly. It's like, it's like literally handing cash to the person standing next to you which again, is, there's a distance between you is a little counterintuitive until you dig in at how it works. Yeah, so if, if there's, let's do a sample transaction. So I have, uh, you know, $100 in my Abra wallet or account, and I want to send it to you. What literally happens to that money? How does it move? You know, how did I get that money in my account in the first place? Can you go through okay, those so, steps? So the first step is to deposit money into your Abra wallet. And so you do that by going to one of these tellers or uh, you can go through banks or there's different ways to get in. Um, and that's essentially transferring Bitcoin onto your phone. It's in addition to that, there is a, a type of smart contract, which is the technology that pegs the, the value of that Bitcoin to whatever currency you chose as your currency. And then when you send that money to your friend or your, your parents, or your mother home, your money back home to your mom or, um, as a remittance, that's a typical use case. Um, you basically just send the, through a through average system, you send like the digital Bitcoin, the contract gets rehedged into her currency. And uh, okay. So in order to, all right, just quick question. So in order to, to um, have money on the average system, I have to change my currency into Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, or can I just put literally US dollars on it? Yeah, the beauty of Avra is you don't know as a consumer that you're holding Bitcoin. Um, to you, oh. it's like dollars, euros, pesos, or yen. But what's happening in the background 
is, is that you're actually buying Bitcoin, you just don't know it sometimes. And that Bitcoin is then, as, as Ishmael said, the value is then pegged to whatever world currency you choose, in this case, dollars or pesos, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so if, okay. you pick, if you pick dollars as your currency, when you load money onto your phone, you get $100 worth of Bitcoin on your phone with this mm -hmm. smart contract that keeps the value fixed to that. So if the, yeah, would, uh, if the value of the Bitcoin was to fluctuate, we wouldn't ethically be able to paint uh, $100 on the screen because in 10 minutes it could be worth $95. But in the case of Abra, the value doesn't fluctuate. So when you put $100 on the phone, it actually stays $100 even though there's no paper in the bank vault. That's good, yeah. But I mean, wouldn't wouldn't Abra, over time, as more people use the network, wouldn't Abra be subject to substantial uh, fluctuation risk in Bitcoin and you know the underlying uh, currencies? So, so the way we set up the hedging system, uh, one of the breakthroughs is that we've actually eliminated all of the counterparty risk in the way the hedge works. It's a little complex, it's, it's, and it might be boring for your audience, uh, but it works. Um, okay. And, and uh, it also works in a way that doesn't force Abra to take any counterparty risk in the system, which is key. Okay, so we could just say you guys are taking care of that on your side. Okay. That's right. So, the part so of the I, I as a company is that one, we eliminate the risk, but the consumer mm -hmm. doesn't have to worry about the viability of Abra as a company by taking on all this risk because we eliminate the risk of the system altogether. Okay. All right. So I want to load $100 into my Abra account. I do so. I actually have Bitcoin protected by a smart contract. I see that I have $100 in my account. That's my perception. And now I want to send it to somebody. So so what happens there? How does that work? So, so when you send it to your mom, then uh, you send the Bitcoin, which may be worth $95 now. Um, the smart contract okay. And adds another five dollars worth of Bitcoin. They her currency pesos. Uh, so then that you give her a uh, hundred dollars worth of pesos. <laughs> but uh, in Bitcoin, with a new smart contract that's nominated in pesos, that amount of pesos. Okay. Pesos. So, so she just sees pesos on her phone, but she's actually received a contingent of Bitcoin whose value is exactly the same in pesos now, and her smart contract gotcha. is reset. So that is protected in paper. Okay, and uh, so and Abra makes money because they take a small transaction fee, or how does Abra work? When when there's an exchange of fiat currencies, in this case from dollars to pesos, Abra would would be in a position to make money on the foreign exchange spread. If it's a domestic transaction, meaning dollars to dollars or pesos to pesos, we actually don't make money on those transactions, and we're we're mm -hmm. totally fine to give those transactions away to the public since our cost basis is super low and we want to feed a, a really cool global network so we're as right. a result happy those way. Okay, so you know I have a hundred dollars, I send it to my aunt, she gets a hundred dollars worth of pesos, you know, but essentially Bitcoin. Um how does she spend it? Can she use the app and Abra itself and go to a merchant that accepts pesos yeah. and show them her phone or how does she get the money out of there or use it? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that uh, mom can do. She can find an average seller in her neighborhood and sell 
sell the mm -hmm. digital currency off her phone to that teller in exchange for paper pesos, she can walk into a mom and pop shop that happens to uh, have the, the Abra app and basically use Abra as a form of payment if they accept that. Uh, or she can okay. also send the money to someone else if she owes somebody else money. Okay, gotcha. So how um how come no one I mean maybe I'm, I don't know but it doesn't seem like anyone out there has done this why has it not been done before and how difficult was it to achieve this in the first place the system so yeah so there are I mean a lot of people who have done different parts of this um, I think we're probably the first to really put all the different pieces together um, so uh, you know the you know if you just treat raw Bitcoin the you know, the nature of sending Bitcoin around works just with Bitcoin, right? We're not inventing right. into that. Um, the thing we're doing on top of that is hedging out the volatility so that we can present it to a user in fiat so it's accessible to users who aren't Bitcoin enthusiasts who don't want to learn about the details of cryptocurrencies. Um, hmm. And then the other big thing that we're doing, which is a whole lot of work, is the liquidity that Bill mentioned, where we, we build up these teller networks, we integrate with the banking system where available uh, and really try and make it easy for people to get money on and off. And that's a, a big global effort. So it's not easy to, to build that. Um, and the combination of those two make the experience accessible for uh, the average consumer. So um, it's, I think it's the combination of those things that's really unique about what we're doing. And I'm right. sure we won't be the last one to do it. Right. One of the things I love about Abra you know, like my mom is in the 70s and she can use the app. If I was to tell my mom that she has to generate a public privacy pair to be able to use Bitcoin, she would look right. at me like a forehead. Well, she does that. Right. But, but, but you know, she wouldn't <laughs> use it, right? I mean, she's not interested in learning about some new computer science concept in order to spend money around. She just wants to get her money to get on with her day. Um, so what's cool about Abra is, is it gives you the option to have a really simple trivial user experience that hides all of that that complexity and, and in some cases, you know, tech mumbo jumbo that a lot of consumers just are afraid of. Okay. All right, I gotcha. Um it seems like, you know, from my talk with different uh providers in the cryptocurrency space, the big hurdle is fiat currency to cryptocurrency or cryptocurrency to fiat, but not cryptocurrency to cryptocurrency. Why? Why is that? Well, you're integrating with the traditional banking system at that point. Whether mm. in the case so so in the case of Abra, there's two means for getting into and out of traditional currencies, right? The teller uh, or through uh, the banking system using our exchange partners. In both cases, eventually you're going to end up with a bank account um, at some point in the chain, and that right. is a lot of pressure. Uh, now, in the case of Abra. Daryl alluded to this being a lot of work, and it's a lot of work because of the fact that we've, hide, we've managed to hide the complexity to the average consumer. The more you hide the complexity, the harder it is to do by definition. And we're the first company that has been willing to do all of that heavy lifting to make this work in a way that we're not betting on the consumer adoption of some new cryptocurrency, Bitcoin or otherwise which I'm not 100% convinced is ever going to happen at global scale. It'll happen as an asset class, 
and we're betting on that big time. But we're yeah. not betting on mass consumer adoption of Bitcoin, for example. And so as a result, a lot of the other companies out there are willing to make trade-offs in the user experience because they are betting on the consumer adoption of Bitcoin and therefore consumers being willing to have a certain class of user experience that to average unacceptable. And to touch on your question about fiat versus Bitcoin, uh, mm -hmm. if you just take an analogy, if you have dollars in your wallet and someone is asking you to pay in dollars, it's easy. If someone's asking you to pay in euros, you got to go figure out how to change their dollars into euros, and that's hard. That's a lot more work. So, of course, the boundary between fiat currencies and cryptocurrencies is a lot more complicated than anything within the same currency. Well, is it is it hiding the complexity from the consumer, or is it regulation? I, I had thought that it was just regulation when you interface with the traditional banking systems. I mean, I've heard no, you know the no. no look, even if you're even if you're going to be fully compliant, which we obviously are, um, or you know, forced to be, however you want to uh, look at that. Uh, ultimately, it comes, <coughs> excuse me. Ultimately, it comes down to what is the consumer willing to do and why. Right, it's always a pain, a pain, pleasure spectrum, right? Uh, optimal, mm. optimal pleasure, you know, for the simplest experience is always best. But if it's something that traditionally costs you hundreds of dollars to do, and now you're making it close to free, in some cases the consumer might be willing to go through a little bit of pain. But within reason, in in the mobile online world today, consumers' expectations around user experience are incredibly high. And we have to meet those experience requirements regardless of what the regulators say. And, and so that's a big challenge because we're obviously not going to break the law. Um, right. But ultimately, it's not about compliance because we're going to be compliant no matter what. <laughs> that doesn't mean the consumer is going to use the app. It just means we're compliant. Um, that's fine. Yeah, well, I had heard, you know, there's uh, banking has the know your customer and anti-money laundering, anti-money laundering provisions. Um, has that been a hurdle to your to Abra, and how have you um, how do you navigate around that or work with it? Yeah, so that's a that's a complex question, uh, and and so it it has to do it's a, it's a multi-dimensional question because you have different geographies have different laws. Uh, and different processes within different geographies have different laws. So let me break it down with a couple of examples. So for example, okay. in the United States, um, the buying and selling of digital currency at retail is considered a money service business by FinCEN, which means anybody engaged in that activity has to be registered with FinCEN, which is the Treasury Department's uh, law enforcement arm. Uh, mm. and, and so, However, in other countries, like in Mexico, for example, it is not considered money transmission, and so anybody on the street can buy and sell digital currency, especially if it's just sitting on their phone. Right. Um, exchanges that we integrate with to facilitate buying and selling via your bank account also have their own local KYC requirements, and in some cases, they're operating um, under a money transfer license, uh, like in Mexico. Or in some cases, they're operating under an e-money license, like in Europe or in the U.S., they might be operating as a bank trust. And so in each instance, those legal uh, um, regimes have different requirements that they have to fulfill. And the ABRA infrastructure has to know about all of those requirements in order to 
how they want to transact and which currency they want to transact in, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And again, you guys are, you know, sweeping the complexity under the rug for the consumer. That's right. So the app will know, hey, I need to know your name. I need to have an ID number right now. And it's without necessarily exposing to you all of the compliance detail as to why behind the scenes. Okay, gotcha. Interesting. Um, why have you guys chosen to use Bitcoin as the medium of exchange? Why not Ethereum or multiple cryptocurrencies so, or other ones? In terms of liquidity, Bitcoin is by far the most liquid one. And also has the most uh, flexibility in terms of like the uh, most mature one for the technology. But we could switch to another one if it turned out to be better. Really it's not like we're tied to Bitcoin, it just makes the most sense right now. Yeah. It's, it's the only one that has a market cap high enough, which is really just no point about liquid uh, to support okay. network. There's just no other way to do it. How, how are you guys going to get network effect? I mean, you have such a grand vision of all these well, countries and you know, having app reviews. Here's this podcast and then immediately start using Abra. Yeah. Um, and, and on the outside chance that that doesn't happen, uh, although I hope it really does, uh, we actually have a pretty, <laughs> pretty complex um, go-to-market strategy for the company. Um, the app itself has full kind of analytic capabilities that allow us to learn about how you got Abra, um, how people are using Abra on a macro level. We don't track individual users, but we know that, for example, like there's this many users that are downloading the app and adding money, and this many that are downloading it but aren't adding money. And so that allows us to do different things like Facebook advertising, Twitter advertising. Um, you know, we're, we're going to be doing some really cool referral programs. There's a sign-up bonus program running right now, for example, for users in the U.S. who get three five dollars uh, when they're trying Abra for the first time. And we track those things very, very carefully. Um, we're doing some deployments over the next few weeks, which I can't talk about yet. But after that, we're going to be doing some very, very uh, significant promotional activity work, which I'm really excited about, which we'll be getting into later in the winter. Um, and we have some pretty significant plans for promoting Abra at global scale uh, going into next year. So, so um, we don't have any delusion that something like this just promotes itself. It really takes right. a lot of to kind of feed the fire. I also think that um, as we start to deploy the network, the teller network globally, um, that they're really going to be some of our best evangelists, right? Because if you think about who's incentivized the most in the Apple network, well, it's really the tellers because they get to make money on their transactions. And so they're the people that are going to want to sing uh, Apple's song from the, from the hilltops. Yeah, let's talk about the tellers. Are these individual people? What's the requirement and what's the reason and benefit to them and what, what do they have to do? Yeah, so there's two types of tellers in the Abra model. Uh, there's master tellers and individual tellers. Let me make the distinction. Um, the, the, the master teller for us is the, the retail partner, uh, the 7-Eleven type companies of the world where they obviously wouldn't have a phone at the point of sale. They would have a POS uh, or a web browser or something like that. And they would be selling, buying and selling digital currency out of a corporate wallet uh, via APIs that Tishnell um, and Dara would, would give to them to be able to integrate with their corporate wallet. The second type of teller is the teller we've been alluding to all along in these discussions, which is more the individual. And that is either an individual person or a small business owner, somebody who's got an owner-operated 
mom and pop type storefront maybe or a kiosk on a street corner and wants to make money uh, buying and selling their digital currency to and from the consumers. Uh, very similar to how the prepaid wireless airtime business works, right? There's, we estimate there's between 30 and 40 million people around the world to make money selling prepaid airtime. That's how okay. that's people load, top up their phones in most countries where they don't have credit. Uh, and the average teller model is a very similar concept. Um, you know, just like airtime is nobody's primary means of income, uh, it's an add-on to your existing business. We think Apple is a fantastic add-on to an existing business in, in very much the same the same model. Tellers, whether it's the large retail partner or individual, are always in an existing cash business. We discourage anybody from starting to carry cash just because of Apple. That's not a good idea. So a teller is somebody who's already familiar with dealing with lots of cash, you know, collecting cash, handing out cash, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, there's no kind of incremental security risk because of Abra because the person's already in a cash business. Okay, so for the, the, the regular, not the master teller, but the regular teller, um, who do you imagine or who is becoming tellers and, uh, yeah. you know, what's the benefit to them financially? What can they make and, you know, what, what do you imagine is your ideal teller and why? Yeah, so we started the initial deployment of some of the tellers in the Philippines. Um, and for the individuals, the profile is, like I said, mom and pop store owners are really good examples of tellers, people who are selling wireless airtime. Um, you know, in some cases, uh, people who are existing Bitcoin traders who want to make more money with their Bitcoin, but you know, are you know, don't want to deal with consumers who don't necessarily understand the complexity, so Apple is a good front end for them. Uh, all those people are in good cash businesses that represent a good model for the average seller. I would also add that, um, like, if someone is in like a remote village where they don't already have access to money transfer uh, services, that uh, someone might, an enterprise in person, would be like, "Oh, I need to exactly do this for my family friendship." Absolutely right. Okay. Even a church in the village would be a good yeah. Example of that, and I guess if yeah, if a business becomes a teller, it would also help them in that they could accept Abra as an alternative form of payment, and it would help grow their business too, right? That's what we want to have happen over time. I mean, one of the advantages of that is, is for just normal P2P transfer domestically, we don't charge for that. We do we, we do charge for our merchant APIs, but that's not what you're talking about in your example. And so the good news there is, is if you're a merchant and you accept average payment, it costs you nothing. Whereas mm. accepting credit cards can be, especially in, in developing markets, those can be four to five, even six percent sometimes. Which if you're a yep. convenience owner, that completely kills your business margin. Because those are low margin businesses to begin with. Right? So I've, I've personally met with store owners in rural Mexico who are running a five percent margin business, which means they can barely stay alive. Right? Yeah. Accepting credit cards for them is a complete non-starter because it takes their margins to zero or sub-zero in some cases. Right. Or they have to pass on the cost to the consumer, which is also a bad idea. Even in the U.S., there's many businesses that, that only want cash that don't like credit cards. And, uh, yeah, they Absolutely. take 3 4 or 5% for sure. Yep. 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 <clears throat> That's that's a great idea that you guys are marrying those two and aligning those those interests. Yeah. Very smart. Um, any edge cases 
or unusual things that may uh, where people would run into a problem. You know, is there a transaction limit size on ABBA right now? Is that you know is it different for different people? You know, what if someone wants to send a lot of money, ten thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, yeah. So the system is not geared yet towards large dollar transactions. Um, that's partially driven by the limitations of, honestly, what we've set up ourselves just in the early days as we're getting to know our early users. Um, there's no physical limit as to why you couldn't theoretically spend $100,000 with Abra. Um, I think it's going to take some getting used to the idea that people are literally holding $50,000 in cash in a smartphone. Again, there's hmm. no physical difference in what's happening, whether you're holding a penny or $100,000. It's just uh, more of a mental barrier at that point. But there are some physical differences in terms of what exchanges will support, what some of our tellers are willing to support. And that creates not necessarily a physical barrier, but certainly a logical barrier for what a consumer can do at this point. Hmm. What about um, bad actors using the system? Are you responsible for <laughs> vetting people, you know, vetting individuals and letting them onto ABRA or not? You know, what if. Uh, you know, what if you have knowledge or don't have knowledge of a bad actor that's moving money that they shouldn't? Yeah. So bad actors, you know, if they're in business today, they're usually in business in cash or via the traditional banking system, um, whether it's via prepaid cards or otherwise. But if you're in a, in, a, in a business where you're a cash consumer moving money around in paper bags or suitcases, the last thing you want to do is move to a model that's on the grid like Abra where every single transaction you do is published to a public blockchain. Uh, mm. And you can run reports and you know, decipher patterns and take phone numbers and give phone numbers to police who can then look up geolocation information with subpoenas to wireless carriers. Basically, you're, 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 you're taking yourself from a, a bad actor who's doing transactions in paper cash with a, some risk factor of getting caught and increasing that risk factor dramatically by moving it to a a solution like Average. So uh, I'm 100% convinced people will try, but I'm also easily convinced that it's a really bad idea and they're going to get caught, which is why it's a bad idea. Uh, and and so you know my hope and belief is, is that they'll they'll stay away over time when they realize that there's no there's no well, advantage. <laughs> no, that's great that the system itself um, you know is not conducive to that behavior. That's that's fantastic, you know. Um, any, do you think that um, your fate will be tied to Bitcoin? You know, what if Bitcoin is having problems scaling? You know, there's fights over the block size, uh, you know, the, the time it takes to settle a block. Do you see that um, if Bitcoin is unable to scale or has problems that it's going to affect Abra? So, um, yes, um, we, we are closely, think, closely watching that. Um, we need a cryptocurrency with enough liquidity uh, for our system. Uh, right now, that's Bitcoin. Uh, others, if others, if Bitcoin isn't able to get it figured out, but other folks are, and they get more, uh, they get a bigger market cap and, and more liquidity in the system, more transactions happening, uh, we'll, might, we'll move the, the value store over there. So um, we definitely need a scalable liquid cryptocurrency for this model to work. Um, and right now, that's Bitcoin. Um, so, so it's something we pay a lot of attention to, but it's not. Uh, as long as there is something we can we can adopt it, it doesn't have to be Bitcoin. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. There's also yeah, I mean, there's two technologies. There's some new technologies related to Bitcoin, or actually part of Bitcoin. 
platform that are coming down the pipe that we're particularly excited about that really dramatically increase the transaction throughput of the system, um, like Lightning and, and there's some others. But um, look, you know, Daryl's putting a politically correct spin on it, and I'll just say, look, we're all in as it relates to Bitcoin as the technology. That's our TCPIP, right? You couldn't build Netscape without TCPIP, and, and we used to call it in those days, you know, the front end that finally gets your grandma using TCPIP in the lab. Uh, and average is no different when it comes to Bitcoin. While my, my mother would never understand how it's working, uh, we absolutely are all in in terms of needing this to work. <laughs> so the, 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 the greater community needs to definitely quote unquote come together and make sure that we're putting the right plans in place for this technology to work at massive scale. Fair enough. Yeah. And it's, it's companies like you that are helping to legitimize Bitcoin more and more and have it shed its old past of the Silk Road and you know, being used to buy drugs and all that. It's really evolving and moving past that. And again, because of companies like you, it's, it's, um, it's leaving that behind that legacy. So that's great. Thanks. And, and look, you know, going back to my Netscape analogy again, I remember the early days there. You know, I was part of the team that, that built some of the first credit card processing gateways on the Internet. And I'll tell wow. you, it was not, it was not used, uh, you know, to buy books, right? It was, it was used right. for some nefarious <laughs> things and some not so nefarious things. And it paved the way for all the great things that happened online since. Uh, and, I, sure. and I think that, you know, we all owe it to the community to recognize that a lot of people have done some incredibly heavy lifting to get us all this far. And uh, I want Amber to, to be a, a good citizen contributor in that regard as well. All right, fair enough. Um, so, you know, I know you want to attract more users. That's definitely the goal of this podcast. What's the best way for people to start to engage with Abra, uh, get onto the system and start using it? Do you have a beta program or just should they go to the website? What should they do? Oh, you can go download the app now in the, the Play Store or the Apple ID Store. Okay, so just download the app. Is it is it available for uh, Android and iPhone? Yep. Okay, for both, that's great. Okay. Um, if anyone has any questions uh, inside the app, is there a good FAQ or is the website better? What do you recommend for people that so want to learn more? Yeah, there's a built-in FAQ. There's video tutorials on how to use the app inside the app itself. Uh, they can go to our uh, Abra Global Twitter handle, handle or you can go to Bill Barrett on Twitter, my Twitter handle, and ask us questions. And, you know, we're, we're very responsive. So it's... Uh, we're easy to find. Okay, that's great. Um, anything else that you wanted to discuss that I haven't asked you about? No. Sounds good. It's been an interesting discussion, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to do the podcast. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.